time. I was blind, but now I see. Working jobs we hate, so we buy shit we don't need. Ideas are grateful. If you had one shot, everything I'd ever read, heard, seen was now organized and available. Now you fucking khakis. Life moves pretty fast. The Biohacking Secret Show. In this episode of the Biohacking Secret Show, what people are doing, and it's just a societal thing, is they're eating all their food at night. So when you repeat that pattern over and over again, you're telling your body food presents itself at the night. So that's when you should be the hungriest. This podcast is brought to you by Organifi and the Biohacker Bundle. So as entrepreneurs, biohackers, and busy professionals, we understand the importance of eating healthy. But there never seems to be enough time, and it can get really expensive. Well, one of my best biohacking secrets for spending as much time as possible in a state of peak physical and mental performance and getting my body and mind what they need is the biohacker bundle. And here's how I use it. Every morning, we wake up and we're depleted and dehydrated. That's why you want to start your day with a big glass of clean water, and I add one or two scoops of Organifi green juice. It's got the super herb ashwagandha in it that's been shown in scientific studies to increase your resistance to stress so that rather than waiting till later in the day when that stress arises, by starting your day with this Organifi green juice, you increase your resistance to stress and increase the probability that you're going to be more cool, calm, and collected throughout the day. Then, after your workout, comes Organifi Complete Protein. It's USDA organic, gluten-free, non-GMO, soy-free, dairy-free, and vegan. And it provides your body with the amino acids and protein it needs to rebuild after a workout. And most importantly, maintain healthy body composition. Then at some point in the afternoon, you're gonna need a break. That's where you come in with Organifi Red Juice. It's got cordyceps that keeps your body and brain oxygenated so that you avoid that afternoon energy dip that can slow you down and keep you from hitting your goals. And last but not least, Organifi Gold. I use this every night as I'm winding down for bed. It's got turmeric in there, which is one of the world's most powerful anti-inflammatories. But my favorite ingredient is the lemon balm because it helps your body relax and slip into that deep restful night's sleep where you're sleeping like a baby and you're waking up charged up, excited, and ready to take on the day. And if you want to put the biohacking bundle to work for you, go to www.organifi.com forward slash biohacks, B-I-O-H-A-C-K-S, and enter discount code biohacks to save 20%. It's the best biohacking secret I've found for maintaining physical and mental performance throughout the day, and I've tested thousands. To get yours, go to www.organifi.com forward slash biohacks and enter discount code biohacks to save 20% now. Hey everyone, I know you'll enjoy the interview. If you'd like to learn more of my top biohacking secrets, get a free copy of my best-selling book called The Biohacker's Guide to Upgraded Energy and Focus for free at biohackersguide.com. It's over 500 pages of my top biohacks and I'll send it to you for free if you cover a small shipping cost. Get your free copy at biohackersguide.com. Hey guys, Anthony here, and I just wanted to give you a big biohack thank you for listening. I'm so humbled and grateful that you're spending some of your day with me and the Biohacking Secrets Show. And if you get any value from this episode, or you've gotten value from previous episodes, it would mean the world if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes and share this episode with your friends, family members, and coworkers on social media. That way we can continue to spread this information and positively impact as many lives as possible. And it's also how our podcast gets discovered by 
more people. So without further ado, please enjoy this episode of the Biohacking Secrets Show. What's up, biohackers? I am here with David Mayo, who is a health coach, who, like many of us, has overcome a number of his own health challenges. And he now helps men and women optimize their circadian rhythms and gut health. And on today's episode, we're going to help you guys troubleshoot blood sugar dysregulation. For those of you guys who've already made the switch to paleo or the ketogenic diet, but if you're still experiencing blood sugar and insulin dysregulation, um, David has some answers for us. So David, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Awesome, man. So give us a little bit of background on how you got started on your journey. Okay. Um, well, basically, I've always been a very physically active guy. Um, and then, of course, once I graduated from college, I got into that kind of sit down desk job, but I, I still always exercised. Um, you know, like probably what most people were doing back then, it was like, you know, 98, 2000. I was exercising a lot, you know, one to two hours a day, four to five days a week. And, you know, I went to the doctor and, you know, my blood glucose was a little high. It was not crazy, 105-ish, which, um, you know, he said, you know, it could just be an aberration, but it wasn't an aberration. It kept going south and I couldn't figure out, you know, what's going on here. Why, why am I having these issues? I exercise so much. I'm burning so many calories. And my weight around then was probably, you know, it was 215-ish. Um, it did creep up to around 240 eventually, but I just couldn't figure out what was going on. And then sometime around, I'd say 2010-ish, I, I kind of came upon the paleo diet. A, a friend of mine who was, um, while I was working at the University of Pennsylvania, was, I've also been a trainer for like 22 years. Um, and a friend of mine who's a fellow trainer said, hey, you should check this out. Um, so I checked it out. And sure enough, it, it not only did it kind of get my blood glucose a little better. It also brought my weight down. So, you know, I've typically fluctuate between 215 and 220 and just kind of doing this paleo diet got me down to under 200. So I was pretty psyched about that. Uh, got it down a little more, I think around 190 by incorporating a little more intelligent physical activity. And then the blood glucose problems started coming back. Um, and I was getting really weird fluctuations, uh, such as like, I'd be, I'd taken, I do my own oral glucose tolerance test and my blood glucose would stay elevated over 200 for well over two hours. I couldn't really figure out what was going on with that. Um, come to find out now I know what happened with regard to that and we'll kind of discuss um, what that was. Uh, and then I got something called Romeheld syndrome, which is a, it's kind of a, it's a gastrointestinal or disorder that uh, it presents as actual cardiac symptoms. So long story short, you kind of get this overgrowth of bacteria and, you know, the fermentation process causes gas in the area and it's typically in the area right under the stomach, pushes on the heart, pushes on the vagus nerve, causes the uh, heart rate to drop. And then the autonomic nervous system kicks in by raising blood pressure and your heart rate. So you almost feel like you're having a heart attack. Um, and that got me interested in gut health. I watched a presentation by Rob Wolf uh, called blast from the past. And I got interested in uh, endotoxin lipopolysaccharide. And just from there, a few years down the road, I came up with my website, hackyourgut.com. I went through the ringer like most people did on gut health and tried all of the different supplements. I spent thousands of dollars on supplements only to come and find out that there were far more lifestyle things I could do that actually led to far more substantial changes, specifically time-restricted eating probably moved the needle the most in terms of the Romeheld syndrome, which is you know, no longer there, but the uh, 
as far as the other factors such as physical activity and light exposure, that made, I mean, I was, I've always been someone who only needed like six and a half hours of sleep a night, but I was started getting eight hours once I was locking in the circadian rhythms. So came up with a, a program called the circadian retraining program to kind of help with the time restricted eating and the um, physical activity and light exposure and then realized there's a lot more to it. And so it kind of exploded into 10 hours worth of me jibber jabbering over PowerPoint slides. That's cool, man. I'm, I'm impressed at how much initiative you took and some of the tools that you utilized to diagnose your, your issues and then, and figure it out yourself, man. That's, um, that's, that's what biohacking and like self-sufficiency in this area is all about. So yeah, very cool, man. Um, this, this Rome held syndrome, what's the spelling on that? R O E M H E L D. It's actually kind of interesting. I went to, I went to the conventional doctor. Of course, they immediately diagnosed me with anxiety, which I'm not an anxious person. So I ended up making my way to a function, functional medicine doctor. He really couldn't figure it out either. And I, I actually figured out because the symptoms really pre present themselves when you lie on your left side. And that was the thing. This would mostly happen when I lie on my left side. When I was sleeping, if I'd roll over onto my left side, it would cause the you know, heart rate drop and then the immediate quick beating followed by raise, raising the blood pressure. And so I asked him, like, do you think this is what it is? And he, he was like, absolutely. So he helped me along the way understand certain aspects of health that I didn't know that he had as a functional medicine doctor. And he really... I have always been into using lifestyle, but he really pushed. He's like, you gotta, you gotta do this, man. So um, it was a kind of a conglomeration between he and I to, you know, hack this thing out and fix it. Awesome. So you had, you tried changing your diet that got you a little bit of improvement in, in your blood sugar, but then the issues sort of resurfaced, even as you continued to eat that way. And then the problems actually got worse with the, the Rome held syndrome. What was the first shift you made that had the biggest impact where you realized that what you were doing was working? Oh, after the Rome held? Yeah. Yeah. So the, what I know, I started doing time restricted eating. And at that point, I didn't even know what I didn't kind of associate it with circadian rhythms. It's just a lot of people were doing the 16, eight diet and it made sense certainly felt good for me and not initially it was really hard to fast but what I noticed is in combination with time-restricted eating and doing periodic day-long fasts I kind of felt some weird sensations on that left side of my body almost like popping in my intestines and then a few weeks after doing it, I just expelled the whole bunch of uh, right now what I think it is a biofilm. I can actually give you a link to I discussed it on my on blog, but it was just like this long stringy stuff loaded with bubbles. And it was it's almost as if, you know, this biofilm was attached right to my intestinal lining and it just took time. Uh, and from what I understand now, probably the migrating motor complex to help clean out my intestines, yank this stuff out and kick it out the back door. And it wasn't parasites or candida. Uh, I mean, I think there was candida because I've always got thrush, but I think it was just, I can't tell you exactly what it was, but I'll show you, when I show you the pictures, there was just little tiny little bubbles and large bubbles mixed into this. I mean, the, th the thing was, it wasn't even like, like snot, it was much thicker than that. It, and you couldn't, so like, 
it's kind of gross here, but if you kind of take a piece of toilet paper in the bowl, I mean, this thing was pretty rigid, almost like a rubber band. If you were to pull it, it would snap right back. And it just, it just wanted to be this super organism, whatever it was. And I couldn't kind of break it up. So I uh, did that and like a, a large amount came out initially, but over the course of like five or six months, more came out. And as that happened, I noticed less bloating. I could lie on my left side without getting the cardiac symptoms. And an additional symptom was I get twitching in my calves and the back of my arms and the tricep. And that went away as well. And you wonder how much of that may be nutrient deficiencies because you just weren't absorbing adequately with this biofilm or whatever it was in, in your gut. Oh, for sure. I, I, you know, I can't tell you where exactly it was. I know it was on the left side, but that could be where the uh, transverse colon meets the descending colon. It could have been even higher up into my small intestine. But yeah, I mean, if it's making all those bubbles, it's got to be having some nutrients. And obviously, it's taking the nutrients I'm providing. Another interesting thing was, uh, again, I'll give you the link. There was like blood in this stuff. like, And it wasn't like bright red blood. It would go from like reddish, almost pinkish to, you know, completely translucent. And so you could tell that it was at least, I don't know if it was accessing my, my uh, bloodstream, but it was in close contact with it. Wow. And okay. So this was with, with the addition of time restricted eating, walk me through, were you, were you doing 16, eight, were you doing longer fasts? If you were doing longer fasts, how frequently were those taking place? And, and were they 24 hours, 36 hours, maybe give us a breakdown of, of, uh, the protocol there. Sure. Yeah. Time restricted eating every day. Didn't break it for any particular reason. Because uh, maybe for Christmas, because you know, go visit the family and stuff. And I would do one day a week. Normally on Mondays, I would do a 24 hour fast. And I have since then done longer term fast, but by then I wasn't having any symptoms. So it was mostly just 24. Sometimes I'd get up to 30 hours. It just, just would happen like when I'm working with clients. If it just so happened that I would have three or four clients after the 24 hours was up, I would just keep going. I hear you. I'm doing time restricted eating right now because I didn't have time for lunch. So we're just going to rock through these interviews and keep extend the fast. Um, <laughs> beautiful. So then, okay. So fasting slash time restricted eating, then what was, what was the next, or and what, what's, what's, what are some of the scientific studies that we're seeing with fasting and how, uh, our meal timing influences our circadian biology and our gut health. Okay. So kind of where I got into the whole TRE <clears throat> was I just randomly got into TRE and then I just started digging into different studies and then TRE, I, time, time, time restricted eating. eating. Yeah. That's kind of what the circadian guys are using it now. So I have to use it. I always use time restricted feeding. So I have to go back and change all that. Um, but uh, so I had a, a client who really wanted me to do some research in the longevity, longevity field. And so he got, he, you know, he just gave me a whole bunch of stuff and I got the calorie restriction studies in mice you know, restricting a mouse by 30 to 40% of their calories causes them to get like a 20% increase in their lifespan. And in, in groups of mice, it increases the median lifespan, meaning health span, basically. And But the interesting thing is, if you look at these studies, the way the mice behave when you calorie restrict them is very interesting. For one, you know, mice aren't being fed three different two course meals by a chef when they're fed they're fed at the beginning of their active period and they eat all that food in like three hours they don't sparse it out throughout the day they just eat it all and what happens is is when they repeat this pattern over and over again they begin doing something called food anticipatory activity so what ends up happening is two hours 
before they're, you kind of give them food, they hop on a wheel and they just start running until you feed them. And it's not like it's a conditioned response because they were fed you know, previously without having to do that. They just automatically do that. And so when you kind of dig into this stuff, you find out that these calorie restriction studies in mice are actually not only time-restricted eating studies, but they're circadian optimization studies. They, you know, if you think of the way things should happen, you should expend energy before you eat. It shouldn't be the other way around. You shouldn't eat a big meal and then become physically active. So now there's just tons of studies in mice and they're kind of being elaborated in humans now where if you feed these, you know, what's considered the unhealthy Western diet, if you constrict it to the time restricted eating patterns, which anywhere between 10 and 12 hours normally, what you get is you get somebody who can put on weight, but they don't get type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular disease and biomarkers of chronic disease. And what do you attribute that to? So if we look at circadian rhythms, we, we really have to ask, what are, the, what are circadian rhythms doing? What are they supposed to do? And what they do is they integrate information from the environment, you know, the day-night cycle, but also with behavioral inputs and outputs to kind of promote fitness in that environment. So there's a couple of, you know, you can look at this at the cellular level and at the organism level. At the cellular level, they segregate use from repair. So, you know, when you're generating energy through your mitochondria, you actually cause a lot of free radicals at the same time. Not the ideal time to be trying to do cell division because you could cause DNA damage. So they kind of segregate this period of time where your cells are repairing themselves from the times that you're using them. In the same way, if you think about it, you don't want to change the oil in your car while you're driving it. Those two things have to be segregated from one another because if they're not, you'll ruin your engine. But when you look at it at the organism level, they, it's driving behavior and it's optimizing the physiology, helping your body solve the puzzle that is the environment. So for example, I know you work with a lot of people. You may notice how people tend to be more hungry at like five or six at night than any other time during the day. And there's a reason for that. And that's because the hormone ghrelin, the hunger hormone ghrelin, is a circadian hormone that's also regulated by behavior. Specifically, as your stomach is empty for a long period of time, you secrete ghrelin to make you hungry. And what people are doing, and it's just a societal thing, is they're eating all their food at night. So when you repeat that pattern over and over again, you're telling your body food presents itself at the night. So that's when you should be the hungriest. It's basically telling us, you know, if we're going back to our hunter gatherer days, hey, deer are always available at 6 p.m. at night. So I'm going to make you hungriest at 6 p.m. at night. Mm -hmm. And it does other stuff. It optimizes your muscular performance. Uh, in many ways, but in addition to regulating nutrient usage, you'll more completely oxidize glucose during the day than you will at night. And it helps regulate your blood glucose levels. Nice. Okay. Beautiful. And so with fasting, there were some other things that you were doing to improve gut health and your circadian biology. Were these changes happening um, at the same time or were they happening? Were you layering them in where you started with fasting, then you moved on to something else? What was your approach like? Yeah, I was layering them in and looking back, like it's just kind of you get in as much as I kind of rail against categorical thinking. I was completely 
uh, guilty of categorical thinking. You know, I did the time restricted eating and then I kind of, really, you know, you can't have a healthy gut if you're not sleeping properly. Your gut has its own circadian rhythm as well. Then, of course, physical activity. And uh, the interesting thing, is, I, looking back now, I probably could have got rid of this much faster if I was taking that information and using the things like biofilm disruptors and prebiotics, probiotics, and some of the other supplements. So, yeah, it was layered in. And so what I just did was I followed and I've always been – I guess maniacal is probably the word and doing different, like uh, doing an oral glucose tolerance test regularly. I do my hemoglobin A1C probably once every three months, unless I make a significant change and I'll change it sooner. So yeah, I would just layering this all in and then just, you know, I've, as everybody else, we just focus on quality, which the paleo diet addresses diet quality and quantity, how much it's just, nobody really addresses when, and it turns out that when matters quite a bit. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, cool. And I mean, you were probably a little hesitant or maybe you'd even written off biofilm disruptors or, you know, systemic enzymes and, and probiotics because in, they hadn't served you at the beginning because that's where like most people go first, but the circadian stuff and like you're optimizing your environment, your body clock tends to trump that for many people. Oh, for sure. It's basically, so the optimizing your circadian rhythms will just make you resilient. It'll make, you know, it'll increase your mucus layer. It'll prevent intestinal permeability. It'll cause you to secrete more antimicrobial peptides. It'll optimize your migrating motor complex, which is essentially the housekeeping system of your gut. And then, you know, at that point, your body's like, I don't want these things in here. What I was doing previously was my body was like, eh, they can stay. And then I'm just throwing things at them that are like, you know, they, you know, bouncing off of them, like Superman getting shot with bullets. I just needed to bolster myself in addition to using that. Yeah. I hear you. I have a question because there's a lot of people out there who are aware of the science supporting time restricted eating and fasting or whatever vernacular we want to use, but they feel like they need to eat every few hours. And when they don't, I've, I've even talked with people who experience very extreme symptomology ranging from anxiety to almost full-blown panic attacks. Their body gets completely weak. They can't do anything um, and, and even function at the most basic level. Have you experienced that challenge with people? And is it something that, that you guys have been able to troubleshoot? Absolutely. If you have anything wrong with your adrenal system, uh, what people call adrenal fatigue is now called adrenal dysfunction, which in my opinion is for most people, just circadian disruption. If you have that issue, you can't address it with time restricted eating first. Cortisol is one of you know three hormones I really focus on that help regulate your blood glucose level. So when you wake up every morning, expose yourself to light, you get what's called the cortisol awakening response. And that increases your cortisol levels, which in turn increases uh, what's called gluconeogenesis. The liver makes more glucose and then releases it into your bloodstream to maintain your blood glucose levels. But if you don't have a good cortisol rhythm, which would be high during the morning and low during the, the evening and into the night, your blood glucose levels are going to be off. So you can't really address time-restricted eating until you have that good cortisol circadian rhythm. And so in those cases, does it make more sense for people to start with light? With Light is the easy one. You don't really have to do anything. I mean, you sort of kind of do, but it's not like, so if we look at cortisol, we know cortisol not, is not only affected by light exposure, it's also affected by what we do. A lot of physical activity can increase cortisol. Fasting can increase cortisol. 
coffee can help increase cortisol, but we don't want to try to goose it with things that require effort because the, the rhythm is like a slow moving wave. Whereas those things can just shoot it straight up. You don't want to do that. You want to start with light. You want to address it with light, get your light optimized. A lot of people are doing part of that, but they're not really doing everything that they need to be, you know, you throw on blue blockers at night. That's not going to do too much. You also have to be getting light exposure during the day. What's up guys, Anthony DiClemente here. And this message is brought to you by buy optimizers. So a few years ago, I was in a frustrating situation after just about every meal, I would experience gas, bloating, stomach distension, constipation, even diarrhea. And this three month gut reset protocol completely changed the game. I'd tried a ton of things. Nothing had really worked that well until I did this. So what I did was I combined masszymes, Bioptimizer's enzyme formulation that helps to break down protein and increase your own immune system's effectiveness with their probiotic at a specific dosage of 10 capsules of masszymes with five capsules of the P3O and probiotic taken in the morning on an empty stomach and then at night on an empty stomach. And right away, I started seeing some positive improvements. Then I added another six capsules of the masszymes and three capsules of the P3O and probiotic before each meal. And a few months of that, specifically three months, nine bottles worth, my gut was almost completely fixed. Throwing a little bit of gasoline on the fire, I made sure to fast for 14 to 16 hours between dinner and my first meal the next day to increase autophagy, upregulate the immune system, and help clear out some of the other viruses, bacteria, even parasites that can inhabit our, our gut. And that made a massive difference for me. And if you're experiencing any of these symptoms, it will probably make a massive difference for you. So if you guys wanna check out that gut reset protocol, it requires nine bottles of the masszymes, nine bottles of the P3OM, and you can get it at buyoptimizers.com forward slash biohacks. We've got all the discount codes already applied and put together a nice, a, a nice way for you guys to save on the package when you go there. That's B-I-O-P-T-I-M. I-Z-E-R-S dot com slash biohacks, B-I-O-H-A-C-K-S. And you'll see the three-month gut reset protocol that includes nine bottles of masszymes and nine bottles of P3OM. Take it as recommended and you will see a huge improvement in your gut health. Check it out. For those people who live in, let's say, the, the northern hemispheres where it's difficult for them to get that light in the morning or it's dark in the morning or... They need to be at work before the sun even comes up, whatever their um, particular case is. What would your recommendation be for those people and how to address um, the morning sunlight or light exposure and, and that circadian rebalancing? Yeah, that's actually salient to what has been going on with me uh, this past week since we changed the clocks. What are you doing, David? No. Yeah, right. I screwed yeah. up big time. So, uh, well, I didn't really screw up, but like you're going to be most sensitive to the morning. So, for example, I'm generally, as you said, I'm working with clients. My first clients at 6 a.m. for the past month and a half, almost two months, I've had to be up at 530 before there's sunlight. But I am getting exposed to light because at 6 a.m., I'm in a gym working with a client trying to help him fix his issues. And so I'm set to that getting light every day at 6 a.m. But now we shift the clock back and it's 5 a.m. My body is up. It thinks it's 6 a.m. It doesn't know that it's 5 a.m. And of course, it rained every day since we switched the clocks back. So I haven't been able to get outside and get that light exposure. So 
I've been, my sleep has been messed up. I'm going to bed at the same time I have been, which is 9.30, which would have been 10.30, but I'm still, I'm waking up at 4.35 o'clock. So uh, a couple of things that you can do to kind of do that. Some people will use a light box. In my opinion, that's okay. Uh, I more think it's important to get sun exposure as soon as you can. You could get some sun exposure for let's say, you know, some, some sun expo or light exposure from your overhead lights and stuff like that, especially if you're going to be up at that time anyway for the next six months. But I like to do other things. I don't eat first thing in the morning. Uh, I'm, I like to get a lot of walking in. So, you know, I'm up at five. I'm just kind of chilling out. And then when I'm ready to kind of set that rhythm, I go for like a 30 minute walk. And other than that, there's really not much you can do except you know, when you're on the back end at night, start blocking blue light at a different time. But like I said, if you got, if you have a client at 6am and you're just accustomed to 530, you're going to eventually adapt to that no matter what. But then when you switch the clocks back, it's a, you know, a little Houdini trick and the, you know, the rag's been pulled out from under me. Yeah. I've noticed that the past few days with the time change, I've been waking up before my alarm and, um, and it's not like that's an unusual occurrence, but I've, it's, it's more pronounced now and it's been just consecutive days and it, it, it's likely related to that time change. Um, you reminded me of a couple hacks that may be beneficial to listeners. If, if people are, are looking for solutions, um, the spare T vitamin D lamp for some people is all right. It's, it's, I believe a step up from the light boxes. And, um, there's the retimer glasses, which work well for some people, not, not necessarily everyone, but, uh, in some of these light challenge environments, those things can, can give you options for sending some of those signals to your brain, albeit not necessarily as good as if you were to get outside and intentionally get that sunlight. And even, even on a cloudy day, you can look toward the sun and you don't even have to stare at it, but just looking towards the sun for a few minutes is almost always better than just staying in your house or getting under, you know, artificial led lights. Oh yeah. Like I think it's around a 60 degree angle and it's interesting. So it's an, as long as you're getting that sun from a 60 degree angle, that's like the most powerful effect. Um, they think that actually has to be from the fact that we used to be in the water and that'd be the angle and blue light is the, the color of light that penetrates water. But the, um, as far as like sunlight, so I'm sitting in a basement under LED lights. We never use our basement. So, and you know, I might be getting like 50 to a hundred lux at the most on the cloudiest day. You'll see maybe 20,000, probably more. And you want at least a thousand lux to kind of begin suppressing melatonin. The other thing is green lights, very effective in the morning at blocking melatonin. It actually blocks it more quickly than blue light but it fades within 90 minutes. Green light really doesn't have an effect on melatonin. So if you can get access to a green light, you know, interestingly enough, you know, a lot of like at night, it's the most irritating thing. The led, like the indicator lights on TVs and VCRs are all green, blue, and red or uh, green, blue, and white. And it's so irritating because it's terrible to get exposed to that at night. Even a little bit can kind of disturb your rhythm, but that green light can actually, if you could get access to green light, uh, I know the, um, I think it's Philips Lux and the LifeX lights can kind of help goose you along because they provide not only the lux that you need, but the specific color temperatures as well. Nice. Great advice. Um, so take us through your journey. You've added fasting, morning sunlight, what changes were you seeing with your, your blood glucose and, uh, 
and, and digestion? Well, quite a bit, actually. The blood glucose uh, probably wasn't perfect at that point because actually your blood glucose, uh, basically insulin sensitivity changes with the seasons, likely based on the amount of sun you're getting during the day. And, a, and like a good, in my good three-month period, you know, summer, all that stuff, it's around, you know, at, this, at that point, it's at 5.0 and it might fluctuate up to like 5.1. But then once you start adding in the physical activity, not only you, there's a certainly a level you need to be getting every day. That level is mostly dictated by getting walking in moderate to vigorous physical activity, which is, you know, walk of 10 minutes or more, as well as using, you know, probably the stuff you, you do as well as what I do. I do sometimes I do high in, intensity interval training or I'll do some, uh, some lactate producing cardiovascular disease and strength training. That helps quite a bit too. And again, I believe that's because it's kind of helping boost that cortisol awake response. I work out probably the latest I'll work out in a day is 9 or 10 a.m. I know most people can't do that. Uh, and probably the question I get asked the most is if, I, if you can't do it at 9 or 10 in the morning, should you just not do it at all? No, you should absolutely meet your physical activity requirements, even if it requires you to do it at you know 5.30 p.m. when most people need to. Because again, as I mentioned in, the, in, in those uh, calorie restriction, restriction studies, if you take a, a mouse out of their um, out of their circadian rhythm, but you still calorie restrict them, you do get very good longevity results. Not as good as if you keep them in that circadian win window, but calorie restriction, there's a recent study in mice and they just looked at their livers. And so they took time-restricted eating mice, calorie-restricted mice and ad libitum fed mice, which are mice just fed all the time. And calorie restriction and time-restricted eating had about the same levels of circadian gene expression in the liver. So you got, I mean, I can't, and you could take calorie restriction to mean multiple things. If you're 300 pounds and you're losing weight, you're calorie restricted. But real calorie restriction, longevity promoting calorie restriction, we believe, would get you to a BMI somewhere around 22, 23. If you're a bigger muscled guy, you don't need to get that BMI because your BMI is probably not going to be an accurate predictor of your metabolic health. But I was, I have actually, when I was in that, as I mentioned, the 200 range in my weight, one of the things I noticed was I was 190 during the summer and 200 during the winter. Workouts didn't change at all, but what I would do is go frisbee golf or hiking, or I was walking a lot more. And that's kind of where I got this, you know, wait a minute, let me get something that measures that type of physical activity. And sure enough, once I pulled my winter physical activity, like mostly walking into the same range as it was during the summer, blood glucose, uh, specifically A1C, just flat lines between 4.8 and 4.9, which is equivalent to an average blood glucose of around 92 milligrams per deciliter, which is, is that's, that's average. That's not average fasting. So that's pretty good. Nice. Very cool. Awesome. Um, and yeah, I totally hear you on the, on the exercise. Like most of the time in the morning, I gravitate towards fasted cardio, pretty easy on the intensity side of things. Occasionally I'll do maybe like once a week, a more high intensity, but I play soccer now once or twice a week and, and get plenty of high intensity moments there. And, um, and I like doing the strength stuff a little bit later in the day. I just feel stronger. I notice my grip is my grip yeah. is better later in the day. And it's, um, yeah, that's the circadian rhythm. Yeah. Mostly around one to between one and 3 PM is when you're going to get your greatest, um, strength workouts. Yeah. Nice. Um, and then, so exercise is, is the third part and what is, is walking and 
the way, some of the ways that you've outlined here, is that what we're seeing in the scientific literature? And uh, as like most effective for, for gut health and circadian retiming? Yeah, I believe so. And specifically with regard to gut health, this is something I've blogged about. So this is a study from, I believe, the 70s or 80s. What they did was they basically took people, fasted them, and they were laying on a bed in a hospital, and they wanted to see what what happened if they fasted these people and just let them chill or fasted them and had them kind of do like a, a, a cycle ergometer with their legs. It was equivalent to walking at 3.4 miles per hour, which is what most people kind of walk at. What they found was there was a 10 time increase of bile dumping from directly from the liver into the duodenum. And in addition, it was an insignificant result, but it also increased the amount of bile in their gallbladder, which is, you know, you used to, your gallbladder would contract when you eat to kind of help, you know, emulsify your fats. And so I think, I'm, you know, kind of theorizing here, but bile is also a very powerful antimicrobial. But so by dumping 10 times the amount of bile into your gut before you eat, you're basically kind of cleaning out the gut of any residual bacteria. And in addition, you're probably making it more, um, making it more ready to digest the fats you're going to eat. You mentioned a few things here in how fasting sunlight and exercise can improve the body's natural antimicrobial action and, and, and sterilizing and cleansing pathogens from the gut that can interfere with digestion, assimilation of nutrients and, and optimal health. Oh, for sure. So, and you also have to keep in mind. So in the small intestine, uh, it, it, there's a direct antimicrobial effect of bile in a small intestine. What that's going to do is that's actually, you have bile resistant commensal organisms in your gut. So it's actually going to give them a leg up on any pathogens in the small intestine. But additionally, when bile binds to bile acid receptors in the ileum, which is the part right next to the colon where all the bacteria are, that causes a secretion of other antimicrobial peptides that prevent that bacteria that's in the cecum, the first part of the colon, from backtracking into the ileum and causing a potential overgrowth, even the, even the commensal organisms. Very cool. Um, so fasting, morning light, and exercise. What else are we seeing in the scientific literature that, that you're excited about and how these habits interface with our blood sugar regulation or our circadian biology? Cool. So as I mentioned, cortisol will increase your blood glucose. Want a good cortisol rhythm. There was actually a really interesting new study that found that um, cortisol is actually a trigger for adipose progenitor cells. So this is more like, you know, people who don't want to be overweight. It's basically stem cells that are going to become fat cells. And so losing your cortisol rhythm actually forces these fat, these progenitor cells to become fat cells. And it's not the amount of cortisol you make, you can spike cortisol 40 times what's normal. What ends up happening is as long as you get the drop off at night, they don't differentiate. But if you flatline that level, so it stays probably around the same average level. If you flatline that level, you're going to actually have these fat, these fat progenitor cells become fat cells. So it's it's certainly going to make you more sensitive to an excess of calories than if you didn't have them at all. Um, additionally, so we talked about cortisol, insulin, as most of your viewers are probably aware, insulin lowers your blood glucose by causing insulin responsive cells to 
such as those in the muscles and the liver to kind of pull in excess glucose that's in the bloodstream. There's a, a really interesting line of data coming out. And so it's at the point where the data is just kind of overwhelming that you can't ignore it, that melatonin blocks insulin secretion from the pancreas. And additionally, it seems to restore insulin sensitivity throughout the body. So this is kind of a line that is, of course, everything starts in mouse models and Petri dishes. So in mice, knocking out the melatonin receptor in pancreas uh, increases insulin secretion. So you don't get that inhibition. Additionally, uh, if you raise these mice in constant light, what ends up happening is, is you get an insulin resistance, not unlike what you see in humans, but you can reverse it by feeding the mice melatonin. So but what you're doing by feeding them melatonin is putting them in at what's, you know, a physiologically not constant light. So it's not the direct influence of light. It's the effect of light on melatonin. And there have been other studies in mice showing, you know, melatonin improves insulin sensitivity independently of weight loss. We're starting to get some interesting studies in humans. Uh, for example, or there's a um, risk allele, a polymorphism in the melatonin receptor that causes people to be more prone to type 2 diabetes. And the belief is what that does is, is it causes melatonin to function in a way that doesn't restore insulin sensitivity the next day. And so when you take people with this risk allele and you give them oral melatonin, it prolongs their blood glucose levels if you give them an oral glucose tolerance test. So their blood glucose levels are going up and then not coming back down in a, in an, you know, a, a significant, a, a healthy amount of time, which kind of jibes with the epidemiological data that late night eating in adults increases throughout, throughout the entire day, increases the amount of blood glucose, your blood glucose levels, your average 24 hour. And if you supplement melatonin, it'll reduce insulin uh, resistance and inflammatory markers in obese people. And are you familiar with acanthosis nigricans? I'm not, no. So it's if you so people who are obese and also type two diabetic, they get this weird skin condition. It's very rough and it all it's velvety skin and it's brown. Supplemental melatonin also reverses that. So here we're you know, we're not getting a study where we just take people and feed them at night and then, you know, give them a, a break in week where they eat normally and then reverse it. We don't have the clinical trials to state it, but at this point I, I think it's obvious that melatonin does have an effect on insulin sensitivity. And if you have blood glucose problems, you absolutely need to be paying attention to it. Yeah, it's it's become overwhelmingly clear that our hormonal cycles, including melatonin and insulin and our biochemistry is certainly dictated by our environment and our light exposure, good and bad. So if we're spending too much time living like zoo animals indoors under blue lights that our biology is not, uh, not accustomed to, then we get that melatonin suppression. We get insulin insensitivity and some of the, the blood sugar dysregulation that you've experienced. Um, this is fascinating stuff. And, and very, very cool. So David, if you were to give someone listening a, a game plan in like 40 seconds or less on what to do to get their gut back on track, someone that's dealing with, with this blood sugar dysregulation, um, what would it be? Uh, yeah, I first start out in the morning, uh, Get as much daytime light exposure as you can. Again, there's a recent study that found that. So we know blue light at night kind of messes with young people's melatonin synthesis and secretion. Well, if they get enough daytime light exposure, that doesn't happen. Now, I'm not 
suggesting that you just continue to expose yourself to blue light at night, but you want to get as much as you can during the day and block blue light at night to kind of get a synergistic effect. That would be probably the first place I'd start. And it also seems to work in the elderly. The elderly are going to have lower melatonin, but still if an elderly person exposed to more light during the day is going to have higher melatonin at night. As I mentioned earlier, exercise before you're eating, it doesn't have to be. I I do not eat until I've done intense exercise, uh, specifically because it's going to deplete me of glycogen and most of the glucose that I consume in the form of car- carbohydrate is either going to my liver or my muscles pretty rapidly. Uh, I would not eat at night, as I mentioned before, if melatonin suppresses insulin secretion and you eat at nine o'clock, not a good thing. You'll probably have some increased blood glucose at night. And then finally, and this was my mistake, if you're keto, stay keto. Do not deviate. I'm almost certain that my the... I don't believe that the Rome Held syndrome was a, like a one-off. A couple of times, I just smashed the hell out of some carbs and uh, in the form of pizza. So it wasn't just carbs. And I'm almost certain doing that. I, was very, I got to a point where I was relatively low-carb keto, maybe not low-carb by the gram of carbohydrates I was eating, but low-carb with the amount of carbohydrates I was eating in comparison to the amount of physical intense physical activity I was doing. So if you're keto, stay keto. If you decide you want to get off keto, you want to slowly but surely come off because it's, they used to call it physiological insulin resistance, but it's, it's simply a mechanism that your body, if your body doesn't need to make a lot of insulin receptors, it won't. And it doesn't need to in a keto diet. So if you slam yourself with carbohydrates, your body is not going to be able to respond properly. That makes sense. And it it seems like even if you're doing a cyclical ketogenic diet where you phase yourself on and off or allow some uh, flexibility for for higher amounts of carbohydrates based on physical activity and stress levels and everything, it's wise to um, ease on and off or gently and not, oh, yeah. not, not make too big of changes at once. Oh, for uh, sure. And I did that cyclical ketogenic diet in college a million times. And it was always the same thing. Monday through Friday, keto and Saturday, Sunday, well, actually Friday at 5 PM and into Sunday, not keto. And when you're young, you're resilient. When you're 42, you're not. Yeah, this is awesome. David, thank you so much for, uh, you've dropped a lot of knowledge bombs and, and, uh, I appreciate the self-experimentation and pioneering that you've done and putting all this together and translating the scientific literature so that we can benefit from it for people that want to stay up to date with things that you're working on and, uh, learn more about upcoming projects. What's the best way for them to do that? Uh, my website is www.hackyourgut.com. Uh, I, I blog regularly. I'm doing, I, they're not really podcasts. I've, I found that some, and actually I'm a person like that. Some people like to synthesize information by you know, plugging on their headphones and listening to a podcast rather than sitting down, especially biohackers. You don't want to sit down. So you throw it in your uh, headphones and just kind of walk around. So I'm doing kind of synthesizing some of the information from my blogs into, you know, shorter audio blogs or podcasts. And then I have my circadian retraining program, which is all the circadian stuff, but I have a feeling I'm just going to end up dumping everything into that and uh, kind of uh, working with people, let them read the information and just ask me questions. Nice. Well, David Mayo, it's been a pleasure, my man. Appreciate you coming on and hanging out with us, dropping some knowledge bombs, and uh, we'll have to talk soon. Yeah, great. 
Hey guys, Anthony here and wanted to share a really cool opportunity for you to participate in a case study that could get you a free $10,000 Trucy molecular hydrogen water machine. So here's how it works. If you apply for this case study and you're accepted, they will reimburse 100% of your monthly payment for this Trucy molecular hydrogen water machine and inhalation unit. And I get asked all the time, what's my favorite biohack? And right now it is this machine, hands down. It does three things that are incredible and un unmatched. One, it fixes metabolic syndrome. So if your body's not burning fat the way that it used to, there's a 2010 study in the Journal of Clinical Biochemical Nutrition showing that hydrogen-rich water, like you get from the Trucy machine, can fix metabolic syndrome and actually improve a lot of the things that are responsible for how well your body burns fat. But it doesn't stop there. It's also an intracellular antioxidant, meaning it's able to get inside your cells where your mitochondria live, those energy powerhouses that make all of your energy. And that energy is what determines how well you age and your risk of disease, right? Well, inside your cells, you also have free radicals. And a lot of those free radicals can damage your mitochondria and affect how well your body makes energy. Trucy molecular hydrogen gets into the cells and protects your mitochondria. So your body makes energy better, you feel younger, and your risk of degenerative diseases goes way down. On top of that, it crosses the blood-brain barrier. This is so important because it decreases your risk of neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and dementia. And it can also keep you thinking more clearly, keep your memory sharper, and help you avoid those periods of brain fog, cloudy thinking, or just where verbal articulation and recall isn't where you want it to be. So if you'd like to participate in this study, you go to trucyh2.com slash biohacks. I'll spell that out for you. It's T-R-U-S-I. I H and then the number two dot com forward slash biohacks and you click the learn more button on that page that's by the water machines apply for the case study you'll get on the phone with someone from Trucy and they'll see if you're a fit and if you are you could potentially have 100% of your monthly payment reimbursed so you get this incredible $10,000 molecular hydrogen water machine and inhalation unit completely free since using mine I've felt more energy better mental clarity I've had my longest breath hold to date and other clients have talked about seeing improvements in their energy, how they feel in the morning. But what's even cooler is I had a triathlete recently say that her times in the bike, the swim, and the jog had all improved. And the only thing that she changed was drinking this water. So if you guys are looking to ramp up your metabolism and burn more fat more effortlessly, if you want something that gets into your cells and protects the most important asset you have, which is your mitochondria, the thing that makes all of your energy, or you want to stave off your risk of neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and dementia, or just keep your mind as sharp as possible, head over to trucyh2.com. That's T-R-U-S-I-I-H-2.com forward slash biohacks. And then click the learn more button on that page and apply for the case study and see if you are a fit to participate alongside me and a bunch of other biohackers and get your Trucy molecular hydrogen water machine with an inhalation unit completely free. And I do recommend the one that has the inhalation unit because there's a lot of evidence suggesting that that when we breathe it in through our nose, it even more effectively crosses the blood brain barrier and you're able to reap those benefits we discussed on the cognitive side. Thanks a lot guys and hope to see you in the case study. 